God is. Anybody think our God is great? He is great. We talked about how that God is always faithful. How is God faithful? Is he good? We discovered that he is always faithful. He's always good. And, and because of that, we never want to become familiar we never want to take for granted the blessings, the goodness of our God, the presence of God in our lives and with us. And, and so I pray that this week, I mean, I really do, I've been praying this that, uh, for you this week, that, that in a very special way, you would walk in the awareness of God's presence with you, that, that you would be aware of the blessings of God in your life. Has anybody been blessed this week? Anybody just had God touch you, God give you favor, God carry you through the week, God help you in a difficult situation, amen? Amen. I mean, God is amazing. He really, really is. So as we, um, as we keep on in this, in this series here, questions, I want us to keep in mind that, that God's purpose, God's intention for our life, as we read the scripture and in the book of uh, in the book of us, Third John, chapter one, he says this. He says, "My desire for you is that you would be in good health and prosper, even as your soul prospers." That God's intention for each and every one of us. You know, we talk about that all the time here at the church. We want people to be healthy. My, my concern has never been that, that we have the biggest church or the most people or the most money or whatever. But you know what I want. I want the healthiest people. I want to see people healthy in every area and aspect of your life. And that's exactly what God wants, what God wants as, um, as well. So keep that in mind today when we go into the question, because we're going to look at the question, the question that says, why does God command that we serve and that we give? Why does God command that we serve and that we give? Now, I'm messing with my phone here this morning because... Um, the tech team told me today that we don't normally, we have kind of a clock back on the back wall, and uh, that lets us know, you know, when we're running out of time, you know, it, it starts flashing lights, you're going too long, and then it puts up this big sign that says, stop now, do not go any further. So uh, today we don't have that. So um, I just thought, well, um, you know, yeah, we'll just, we'll just let it go until we run out. How's that? Is that okay with everybody this morning? Amen. I heard of a preacher one time, he said uh, he didn't, back before they had clocks on the walls and stuff, he used to put a, a, a mint, I've got a little lozenger in my throat, in my mouth this morning, and he would preach until the lozenger was gone. One day, he just kept preaching and preaching and preaching, people were falling asleep, passing out, all kinds of stuff was going on, and finally, he thought, what in the world is going on? He reached in his mouth and pulled out, and he put a button in his mouth, so um, we, won't, we won't do that, <laughs> we won't do that today, all right? So the question is, why does God command, why does he demand that we serve and that we give? Now, I know some of you are thinking, does God really demand that? Does, well, he, he does, absolutely. God's purpose, God has an intention, God has a plan for each and every one of us to be servers and to be givers, to be people who live in generosity or who live generously. That's a part of our lives. But God did this with purpose, okay? And, and so here we're going to talk about three reasons why God wants us to be people who give and who serve, okay? Number one, the number one reason is because there's been a principle that's been established in Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation that obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing, how many parents said, I need to teach that to my children? Obedience brings blessings, all right? 
1 John chapter 5 puts it like this. It says, this is how we can be sure that we love the children of God, which in chapter 4 of 1 John, he says, that's how we can know that we are his children, is that we have loved one for another. He says, so we can be sure that we love the children of God by having a passionate love for God and by obedience to his commands. True love for God means obeying his commands, and his commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. See, God says that that one of the ways we show that we love God, Jesus said this himself, if you love me, obey me. Do what I say. Why? Because it's going to be good for you. It's going to be healthy for you. It's going to be helpful for you. The, the, The commands of God, I believe the enemy has done an amazing job of selling this idea that when God commands something for us, that it's going to be heavy, it's going to be hard, that it's going to be difficult. Can I tell you that that that's not the truth, that the truth is just exactly the opposite, that obeying God is going to be easy, that obeying God is going to be, it's going to be delightful, it's going to be light, it's going to be refreshing, it's going to be energizing in our lives. It brings benefit to our lives. Psalm chapter 119 puts it like this. I'm reading from the, the Passion Translation this morning. It says in verse 97, oh, How I love and treasure the revelation of your word. Throughout the day, I fill my heart with delight. Now, now Psalm 119 is an amazing section of Scripture. It's an amazing chapter where the psalmist goes through, and in every verse, he starts and just says something about the benefit of the word of God in in his life. And so he goes on here, he says, your word, it fills my heart with light. It, it, it brings light to my life. It, it benefits me. Verse 98, he says, by considering your commandments, I have an edge over my enemies, for I take seriously everything you say. I have an edge over my enemies. How many people like to win? Any winners in here? No, okay, any winners in here, right? Okay, any winners in here? I didn't ask you to raise your hand. I just exemplified it, right? So, no, no, we, we like to win. If we're going to be in a competition, if we're going to be in a battle, we want to win, amen? We want to be winners. And the scripture says here that by living by your commandments, I have an edge over my enemies. So I take seriously every day the things that you tell me. I, I pray that that's how we live our lives. He goes on, he says, you've given me more understanding than those who teach me. I know there's a lot of students in every classroom in America think that this is true, right? You've given me more understanding than those who teach me, for I've absorbed your eye-opening revelation. He said, you know what? When I listen to your commands, then that's, that gives me wisdom. It gives me more understanding than those who are trying to teach me, because God, you know everything, and they're just trying to teach me what you already know right? You give me understanding. Verse 100, you have graced me with more insight than the old sages because I've not failed to walk in the light of your ways. You've graced me with understanding. Anybody here said, man, there's some things in life I'd like to understand. There's things I would like to know. There's things I would like to to be able to wrap my heart and mind around. You know what God says? God says that as we put our heart to obedience of his word and his commands, that he fills our lives with insight. He gives us revelation. He gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. Because of this, 
verse 101, I refused to bend my morals when temptation was before me so that I could become obedient to your word. Listen, underline this in your Bibles, all right? Highlight it on your phones. I refused to bend my morals when temptation was before me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, instead of trying to bend the word of God or change the word of God or compromise your commands, God, what I do is I say, your word says, and then I begin to shape my life to fit your word rather than trying to live the other way around. We live in a world, folks, unfortunate. We live so many people around us, so many church people, so many religious people that they say, I want to do something, and then they try to find something in the Word of God to support or to, or to, um, to verify or validate what they do. They try to twist the Word of God. They try to bend and manipulate the Word of God. But here the psalmist says, you know, what I found out to be beneficial in my life is when I hear the Word of God and I obey it, then I bend my life, I submit my life. I shape my life to fit your commands, God, and it always brings benefit. It always brings benefit. As a matter of fact, he goes on and says, I refuse to turn away from difficult truths. I refuse to turn away from difficult truths, for you yourself have taught me to love your words. I pray that this is becoming a reality in every one of our lives, that we love the commandments of God, that we love the instruction of God. Does it mean that, that there are going to be times when there are going to be difficult things? Absolutely there are going to be difficult things. But you know what? We're not praying for things to be easier. I'm praying for us to be stronger, amen? So that we can live, God, so that we can, we can say, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. And even when something is difficult, even when it means changing a thought pattern or changing a habit or changing an action or even changing an attitude, God, that I'm going to submit myself to your word because your word will bring blessings in my life. Amen? So he goes on and he says, how sweet are your loving promises to me, your living promises to me. They're sweeter than honey. That is, that is, the revelation of your light is sweeter than honey. Now, in Scripture, in Scripture, that honey is always seen as something that refreshes and revives. That refreshes and revi revives. Years ago, um, when I was just a, a, about a nine or a ten year old, um, I, I was on a, a, a. That wasn't that funny. Okay. So, Many, many years ago, all right, back before there was dirt, okay? So, uh, but uh, I was on a swim team, and uh, I can remember that this, um, that <laughs> I knew how to swim, what is it? <laughs> okay, so I was on this swim team, and actually I did really good. I, I got a third place ribbon one time. There were only three people in the race, but it's, you know, so that's right. But I can remember, man, all these really serious people about swimming. They go, oh, okay, now before we go out of here, we've got we to take a little, we've got to sip some honey, right? Okay, we've got to get honey because it, it revives us. It's quick energy. And what he's saying here, God, what he, he's saying, he says, that as I live according to your promises, they revive me. They quicken my life. They give me energy. So I, I believe that as we walk in obedience to God, that God's going to, he's going to inspire, he's going to, he's going to energize our lives. He goes on in verse 104, he says, For your truth is the source of my understanding, not the falsehoods of those who don't know you. He says, your truth 
is the source of my understanding. Your, your truth is the source of understanding, not my feelings. Anybody's feelings ever lied to them? Man, my feelings have lied to me at times. Get up sometime, oh man, I don't feel like getting up. It's going to be a horrible day. It's going to be, but you know what? Feelings can lie to us. So we don't go by our feelings. How about our friends, right? Your truth is the source of my understanding, not just my friends. I, I think it's um, amazing how many times that somebody will be in a, in a tough situation. And so they've got to go and get some wise counsel. And so they go and get it from somebody who's in the exact same situation they're in. You know what? There's better places to get understanding, right? We could always, we could go to social media because we know everything on social media, right? That's where we really want to get our answers to life, man. We want to get on Facebook and, and, and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat because, uh, man, this is where the real deep revelations of truth come from, right? Yeah, people that are sitting in their underwear in their bedroom, they're the ones that are going to be giving you instruction for life, correct? So I'm just telling you, right, what the Scripture's saying here. No, your truth is the source of my understanding Truth shining light guides me in my choices and my decisions. The revelation of your word makes my path clear. God, when I choose to walk in obedience to your instruction, to your, to, to your word, God, to what you speak to my heart, then what it does is it says that it's going to make my decisions and my choices easy. And when it does, when I walk in those things that you've said, it's going to clear my path. Can I tell you this? I think sometimes it's not just clearing our path about what direction to go. But can I tell you that sometimes it clears our path from the, the obstacles, the pits, the, the holes that we fall in. Anybody ever tripped over something and fell into a pit? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever disobeyed? Anybody ever walked by their own understanding, made decisions that weren't wise, that we didn't have clarity about? And can I tell you, God says, you can have clarity. You can know a path to walk on. And it comes by living according to my word and my commandments. So verse 106 says, to live, uh, to live my life by righteous rules has been my holy and lifelong commitment. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, after living a lifetime, I've found out that the way to have joy in my life, that the way to have peace in my life, the way to have contentment, to have fulfillment, the way to have security in my life is to live, God, by your word, your commandment, and your instruction. Can I tell you that that's not just what God wanted for David, that it's what he wants for each and every one of us. Why? Just so he can be a tyrant, so he can control our lives? Absolutely not. He wants to bring blessing into our lives. How many people want that kind of blessing in your life? I do, I do, and it all starts with loving obedience. The second point today is, is for us to understand that God doesn't want something from us. God wants something for us. Get that? God doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. We're his kids. We're his children. The, the, the scripture says we're his heirs. We're, we're, we're special. We've been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. He doesn't want to just take from us. He wants to pour in. A little bit later we'll read a scripture that says he wants to lavish upon us blessing and benefit and beauty and good things. So God's intention is to pour stuff into our lives. Titus puts it like this in Titus chapter 3 beginning at verse 4. 
It said, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Anybody glad to be saved this morning? Hallelujah. I don't know. Some of you need to be a lot more glad than that. You know what I mean? You know you really do. God saved us from a lot. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Listen to what God's doing for us. He's pouring out the richness of the mercy and the grace that we find in Jesus Christ. He says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. That we are heirs, that, that we receive it, that it's part of our heritage. He goes on and he says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. Paul, writing to Titus, uh, Titus he says this, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. I like how the Passion Translation trait puts it. It says, how true and faithful is this message. I want you to especially emphasize these trips, these truths, so that those who believe in God will be careful to devote themselves to doing good works. It's always beautiful and profitable for believers to do good works. How many people want beauty and profit to fill your life? Want benefit, want health, want prosperity, want, want, want us. You know what? Can we say where it comes from? It comes from allowing God to fill our lives with his presence, with the finished work of Jesus Christ, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and then from that position, serve others, do good works, seek to be about the work of the kingdom every moment of every day for God's glory, and he will beautify our lives. You see, God's made us his special people, his heirs, his sons, his daughters. He's put his character in us. He's put in us a heart to serve and to do good works. Look, that's how Jesus lived. Jesus said, I've come to do the will of the Father. I haven't come to, to be served, but I've come to serve. And, and, and that same spirit dwells in us. That's who God's called us to be. Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this. And, I, and I, I love love these verses. It says, it wasn't that long ago that you lived in, re, in the religion, customs, and values of the world, obeying the dark ruler of the, earth, of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority, and he works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember when... When, when, when your ways were against God and, 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 and your heart was against God and your thought were, thoughts were against God. And he goes on, he says, the corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and the desires of our self-life. Remember living just for yourself? It's all about me. It's just what I want, what I think, what I desire. It doesn't matter how it impacts or how it affects anybody else. The apostle says, hey, there's a better way to live. He said, we lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated. We lived as rebellious children subject to God's wrath just like everyone else. But in the midst of this, God still loved us. God still loved you. God still loved me. He is so rich in compassion and mercy 
even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Jesus Christ. And he saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And we ascended with him. Listen to this. He raised us up and put us with Christ so that we could live in the glorious perfection and the authority of the heavenly realm. We have the, the authority of the heavenly realm that, 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 that's a part of our lives. We get to live in this, this glorious state where when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us with condemnation. He doesn't look at us with guilt. He looks at us as his beloved children. He looks at us as those who've been forgiven, those who have been changed. He says, for now, we're seated with Christ. And guys, this is great news. Does anybody think this is just amazing news this morning? We're not who we were. We're, we're not the, what we used to be. Now we're sons and daughters of God with the heavenly authority and the presence of Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, filling our lives for God's purposes, for God's purposes. And so he goes on. And then he says, so throughout the coming ages, you will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and his kindness. I don't want us to miss this. Throughout the ages, throughout the ages, there are going to be times when people go, oh, I'm not sure if God's really good, and I'm not sure if, if God really did anything special. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to point to you. He's going to say, look, here's somebody. They were lost in their sins. They were trapped. They were doomed to death. But because of the finished work of Jesus, here's a sign of how much I love people. Here's a sign of how far I will go. Here's a sign of the extent to which I will display my love and my forgiveness. And it's displayed in each and every one of us. Amen. Hey, turn to the person beside you and say, that's good news, man. That's, that's you. You're going to be on display for eternity. Of the good. You're going to be on display of eternity for eternity. Verse 8 says, for it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Okay, get ready to underline this. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. So good works don't save us, okay? Good, good works don't save us. They, they don't do the work in our lives. We are saved by the grace and the love and the finished work of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But then our lives are filled with good works, amen? He goes on, he said, so we have become his poetry, his masterpieces, his workmanship. We are a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he's given to each and every one of us. Hey, folks, let's stop right there for a second and realize you, every one of us, have been created with a destiny by the God who created the universe. It was said earlier, the God who put the stars in the sky and knows them all by name, the God who can number the sand on the, on the seashore, that God, when he formed you and made you and fashioned you, he did it with purpose. He did it with intention. He did it with a special something in mind. And he said it can only be fulfilled in your life. So he goes on, he says, For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one, and even before we, born, we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. The good works 
we would do to fulfill it. One version of the scripture says that we were predestined to good works. James goes on, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to, be, to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could, how could this kind of faith save anyone? For example, if a brother or a sister in the faith is poor, poorly clothed and hungry, and you leave them saying, goodbye, hope you're okay, <laughs> hope you don't go hungry, he says, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? So then faith that does not involve action is phony. Faith that does not involve action is phony. Verse 20, O feeble sons of Adam, do you need further evidence that faith divorced from works is phony? He said, it's a sham. If your life of faith is not a life that's filled with service, that's filled with care, that's filled with works, good works towards others, then, then he says it's a sham. So now it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eyes, not merely by faith alone, but also by his works. Do works save us? No, works don't save us. But if we're saved, we'll have works, amen? Save people, serve people, amen? Come on, say it with me. Save people, serve people, amen? Amen. Now it's clear, okay, um, it's the faith, um, God's eyes, not merely by faith alone, but by works. Verse 26, for just as the human body without the spirit is a dead corpse, so faith without the expression of good works, it's dead. Faith without the expression of good works is dead. I, I, I don't know about you, I've met people for years. Oh, yeah, me and the good Lord, we got an understanding. And yeah, man, I love Jesus. But their life is filled with junk. It's filled with bad attitudes and bad actions. It's filled with no kind of care for other people. They haven't got time to serve anybody. They haven't got time to help anybody. It's all about them. Can, can I tell you what, what the scripture says about that? It says it's just mere rhetoric. It's just words. There's no reality to that kind of a faith. But God wants us to have a real faith. God wants us to have a living faith. And listen, can I say that this? This is why New Covenant Church, why we work so hard to provide you with opportunities to serve. Uh, like God, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We, we want you to discover the gifts and the talents and and the abilities that you have, the, the spiritual equipping that God's put into your life. We want you to discover, where's, what's that passionate thing in your heart? What's that thing that, that when, when I'm involved in that thing, when I'm involved in, maybe it's in children's ministry, and, and I'm loving kids, and I'm teaching kids, and I'm showing them the love of Jesus, or I'm, I'm rocking that baby, I'm holding that baby, I'm helping out in the nursery so that single mom can be here to be connect with God and be ministered to and be blessed, that... And what mean it, it just fills me up. It just it just fills me. You know what I'm talking about? But does it, am I am I talking Greek here this morning? Do y'all understand what I'm saying here? Man, I, I'm telling you that there's times there's times when I, I have to do things and it's a stretch. And, oh God, shoot me, please. You know? Anybody know? But man, then there's some times when all of a sudden I get an opportunity to do something that's just a part of the passion. It's a part of the equipping of God. 
the destiny of God on my life. And can I tell you, that I walk out, man, I could have worked myself to the bone, and this body may be tired, but there is some type of fire, there's some type of enthusiasm, there's a joy, there's, a, there's, there's, there's an experience in my heart that just says, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, God, that I, that I got to, to fulfill what your plan for my life was. And can I tell you, I want every person to experience this. I want every person to know what it's like to be able to lay down at night and go, oh, thank you, God, that today you used my life to help touch somebody else's life for Jesus. That today, part of the gifting, the talent, part of, and, and no matter where it's at, no matter if it's in the, in the children's ministry or greeting at the door or on the worship team, but God, today, today, because of your goodness, because of your grace, you allowed me to be part of the work of the kingdom of God. God, I thank you for that. I'm telling you, it fills up our lives. It brings health to our life. And that's what we want. We want to see people healthy. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pushing it. I, I'm honestly, I'm saying this. I get concerned about people who isolate themselves, who, who pull back from serving and pull back from, from getting engaged because I'm just telling you, it doesn't breathe the health of God in your life. It's, you know, I, I mentioned a couple, um, a couple weeks ago when I was in Israel that I got to go to the, the Dead Sea, okay? How would you like to have the name? The dead family, the dead house, the dead, you know, the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on the face of the planet. Everything runs into it, but nothing goes out of it. And that's why it's dead. It doesn't have a release. Everything settles there. The salt content, I'm telling you, you go in there and stay in the Dead Sea for a little bit, and all of a sudden, these, this high concentration of salt, it just it starts to burn. There's no release. There's no flow. And God says, that's not what I want for your life. I want there to be a flow of, of my presence, of, of my work in your life, so that you can experience these wonderful things. Let, let, let me say this to those of you that are serving. Thank you for serving. Thank you for using your talents and your gifts and your passion to make a difference for Jesus. Last week, you know, I know at, at the end of the service, we give people an opportunity to come to know Jesus because that's the most important thing in the world. And sometimes there's people that raise their hands and sometimes there's people that will come up and they'll get prayed for to accept Jesus and sometimes they don't. But, but last week we didn't have anybody raise their hand. But you know what? When we started looking at those little connection cards, there was, there was a person that on there, they put, today I renewed my commitment to Jesus Christ. Every person that served. And thank you. Hallelujah. Every person that served. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand. Come on. Give him a real hand for that. You know what? Every person that served, that's part, that, that's part of a blessing that's attributed to you. Whether you prayed or played or, or opened the door or, or, or rocked a baby, can I tell you that, that, that serving, being involved in kingdom good works results in blessings to your lives. It's part of who you were created to be. And folks, I'm telling you, I'm excited to see people step more and more into their giftings and their callings. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 puts it like this. It says, with this in mind, we constantly pray that our God will empower you to live worthy of all that he's invited you to experience. 
And we pray that by his power, all the pleasures of the goodness of goodness and all the works inspired by faith would completely fill you. I, I mean, I really do. I pray that. I pray that you are living fully, experiencing fully everything that God has created you to do. If, if you're serving, again, thank you. If you're not serving, get started now. Get started now. Amen? And this leads us to the kind of our last point here. So why does God want us to be generous? All right, why does God want us to be generous? Now, stop right here. Some of you just started start to unplug. You know, okay, I'm going to unplug. Let, let's not ever limit, when we start talking about generosity, let's not ever limit it just to the realm of money. Amen? Okay? Because can I tell you this? You can give a lot of money and not be generous. You can be faithful in tithing and giving, and you can give to the building program, and you can, you can, you can support all kinds, and not have a generous heart. Amen? Okay? I, I mean, we really can. Because sometimes it's easier to give money than it is to give time. It's, it's easier to pay something, buy somebody off, right? Right? Than give them our hearts. And so we, we don't want to relegate this just to money. Now, some of the scriptures we're going to read, they're going to talk about money because money is one of those areas that represents a lot of what's going on in our heart. First, uh, First Timothy chapter 6 puts it this way. He says, To all the rich of this world, I command you not to be wrapped up in the thoughts of pride over your prosperity or rely on your wealth, for your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Now, Stop just for a second. How many people here just thought, oh, he said to the rich of this world, that doesn't, I'm, I'm glad that's, that he's not talking to me, right? Anybody? I mean, I read that going, oh, that's the other people. That's, that's other people. But can I say this to you this morning? That, that when you look at the whole world, that every person in here this morning, you're in the top 3% of the wealth. You're in the top 3%. So, yeah, but you don't know my bank account. You don't know my circumstance. You don't know my situation. If you walked in here with clothes on today, thank you, first of all. Okay? But if you, right, if you walked in here with clothes, you drove a car to church this morning, you had breakfast this morning, you're not concerned about what to eat, but just where to eat when you go to lunch this, this afternoon, that, 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 that you've got some of the, the things that we call necessities in life. You've got you've got a bed, you've got you've got furniture, you've got a television, you've probably got a couple of them, you've got you've got other can I tell you, you're rich. Turn, turn to the person beside you, say, nice to know you. I've always wanted to know rich people, right? So you are rich. You are rich. You are rich. You're the rich people. So he says, don't put your trust in your wealth. For riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust, trust instead in the one who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. You see, the issue of generosity is not about amounts. It's about trust. It's not about how much we have. It's about how much we trust. Amen. Are we getting this this morning? It's not about if I had a bigger bank account, I could do it. It's about do I trust God? So he says, remind the wealthy to be rich in good works of extravagantly generous, of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. 
This will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future. Listen to this. As they lay their hands upon the meaning of true life. The meaning of true life is to be able to live generously. I think every one of us here this morning would say, I recognize, I realize that everything I have came from God. Anybody recognize that? My life comes from God. The only reason I have the ability to work and to go to a job and make money is, is because of God. Amen? Okay? The, the only reason that I, that I can uh, I have any talents, any skills, any, it's all because of God. God has given it to us. Amen? God's the source of it. So the issue, I don't think, is that we don't recognize it. The issue is do we trust God? We know that God has given it to us the first time, but do I trust God that if I give it away, He will resupply? So the issue isn't original supply. I think the issue is resupply. Do I trust that, that when I tithe, God will resupply? Do I, t- do I trust that when I take some time out of my busy schedule, and I know everybody here is busy because you're really important people, right? You know, we're all busy people, right? If I take time out of my busy schedule to care with for somebody, or maybe go make a visit to somebody who's locked into their house and can't get out, and maybe go show them the love of Jesus, or if I just lend an ear, just has anybody ever got caught in one of those situations? Yes, somebody said, "Hey, how you doing today?" And they start to tell you, and you go, "Oh, jeez." Why'd I ever ask, right, you know? But we lend an ear, and we lend a listening heart, and all of a sudden, you know what? Do we really trust that God will resupply, whether it's our finances or our our time or our, man, how can I go help that person move? Man, I've got so many things I need to do. How many people believe that God is able? God is able to resupply everything that we need. I believe that. Psalm 37 put it like this. It says, the wicked borrow but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and he gives. Verse 26 says, the righteous is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Do, Do we catch this? That when we are giving of ourselves, that we're sowing. We talk about sowing and, and, and reaping in, in the financial area so many times. But can I tell you, it's not just about dimes and dollars. It's also about care. It's about actions. It's about works. It's about deeds. It's, it's about how we relate to other people. Amen? Amen.